You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Hey everyone, I'm Cherish Badzinski. I work behind the scenes for Messy Jesus Business Podcast, primarily as a writer and sound editor. And I would like to invite you to help us celebrate an upcoming milestone, our 50th episode. I know Messy Jesus Business Podcast means a lot to many of you. Now here's your chance to let us know what you love most, to share how Messy Jesus Business has inspired and influenced you. Here's how. Simply record yourself telling us about your favorite episode, something you've learned that changed your perspective, or what the program means to you. Really, anything about Messy Jesus Business Podcast that matters to you is just fine. Then email your voice audio recording to us at MessyJesusBusiness at gmail.com. You just might hear yourself on an upcoming episode. That's MessyJesusBusiness at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. And now, on to our guest. Pablo Perez was born in Guatemala and came to Chicago when he was four years old, then grew up on the north side of the city. He fell in love with jail ministry in the summer of 2006 when he served as a volunteer at Colby House as part of his formation to become a deacon. He was then ordained a deacon in February 2008. A former gang member himself, he now works in the Archdiocese of Chicago as the Associate Director of Colby House and Chaplain at Cook and Lake County Jails. In addition to ministering in the jail, Pablo ministers at St. Bede the Venerable Parish on the southwest side of Chicago, where he counsels couples and trains Eucharistic ministers and lectors. He has been married for 24 years and has three children, two adults and one teenager. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, I talk with Pablo about how he became a deacon and chaplain after being a gang member in Chicago. We discuss forgiveness and mercy, how our church and society could promote these values, and the importance of seeing people who are incarcerated as God sees them. We also examine the mess of our criminal justice system and how we are all in this mess together and are each called to respond with compassion. Enjoy. Hi, Deacon Pablo Perez. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. 
Thank you, Julia. It's great to connect. And I'm excited to hear some of your story. I've known you for a couple of years now, as I've been involved with Colby House uh, Jail Ministry Center here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. But I know that you've been featured in some films and, and you have a really unique story about how you came into the ministry of serving as a jail chaplain in the Cook County Jail. I would love to just hear that story. How did you become a deacon and how did you become a chaplain in the Cook County Jail? Oh, that's real complicated, complicated questions. Uh, talk about messy and mess. Uh, that's a great mess that God put me into. And, and that's how it started. It started by me actually starting the formation to become a deacon, get ordained as a deacon, doing formation back in 2004. That's when I started. Uh, in 2006, part of my uh, formation, I had to do 30 service hours in Cook County Jail, ministering to the men in jail, which I didn't have no idea how to do that. And, and honestly, in doing my formation to get ordained as a deacon, I still wasn't sure what all that work was going to be about in my life as a deacon once I got ordained. So everything, there was a lot of new things that I didn't have no idea how all those were going to play out in my life, obviously. But when you trust the Lord and you trust the spirit of the Lord, you realize that he makes the way for us to be able to get to where I'm at today. At the age of 14 is when I started actively being a member in a gang in Chicago. And that's where it took me to a different path and a dark moment in my life. But I do talk about it often because that is part of, of my life. And that, that episode and that time frame in, in my life is what made me who I am today also too. Even though it was dark moments and things that I'm not proud of doing uh, or talking about it, it's uncomfortable always, but I do talk about it when I know there's a need for someone that needs to hear my story. And, and my story started when my parents brought me from Guatemala here to Chicago. Um, at O'Hare, we came in December and it was extremely cold that day. And I remember, I was little, but I don't know how I remember that part. I ran right back into the airport and my mom said, where are you going? We got to get out of here. And like, no, I want to go back home. It's like, this is home for us now. And I'm 54 years old now and I still don't like the winter. <laughs> we came here and, and growing up in the city of Chicago on the north side is going to high school and grammar school on the north side. That, I went to wonderful experience in school when I was in grammar school, but then that's when I, I got introduced to the gangs mm -hmm. when I was in grammar school already. I believe I was in seventh or eighth grade when I had joined a gang. And from that point on, I, my whole life just spiraled down from 14 all the way up to 20. Mm -hmm. it's, for me, it was the street life. My family was the street uh, at one point. And God wasn't nowhere near in my life at that point either. But as I grew older and I see how destructive my life had begun to be, not, in, not only for me, but my family around me, I realized that there was two things only that would happen to me. I will end up in prison the rest of my life or I will end up killed out on the streets. Mm -hmm. And something inside of me, which I now I know is the spirit of God in me, was the one that pushed me to get away from that. And it's wonderful because the way he sent help to me was through some Christian people that I ran into the corner in the neighborhood where I hang out with all my friends. 
and and they came and prayed for me and they asked me do you want us to pray for you and i say yeah sure why not i didn't have no idea what they were going to pray for but they just asked me to repeat i re i received the lord as my lord and savior i remember mm-hmm. saying those words and the rest of the prayer i don't remember but i do remember those few words and and i truly in my own way craziness i still i did accept the lord and at that point is when the spirit of god came into me again of course i receive it when i'm baptized but again you receive it when that seed is planted by this christian people that i didn't have no idea where they came from they were god sent to me and mm-hmm. and honestly after that not even 30 days later i went to the gang leaders and i told them i want out I want to walk away from the gang. I don't want to be part of it no more. And of course, in order to get out from a gang in Chicago, you you would have to get beat up for about 10 minutes. Wow. Everyone will beat you up until they're done. So I did it. And they asked me, why are you doing that if you're having so much authority and power out here in the streets? Because I want to live. I want to live and I want to get married and have kids. And, and honestly, that's what happened. Once I left the gang, I was able to, God, again, sends me someone else too in my life. He sent my wife to the, literally to the front porch of my house through my cousin, because they were both went to school. They went to school, uh, Robert Morris for a medical assistant. That's where I met my wife uh, 35, 36 years ago. And, and I'm like, that's the woman I'm going to marry because that's the one that got sent to me. And, and actually, less than 30 days, we were going out. And after Thanksgiving, we got married. What, back in 19, 1988, we got married civilly with my wife. And my wife wasn't even Catholic. She, is, she was Pentecostal. Mm. So that was another experience with her. Uh, but she had that uh, the faith. She had the prayer life that I didn't have. So she helped me out in my prayer life and getting closer to God. And, and thank God, because she was the one that came to church. She became a Catholic, went through the RCIA program, and, and then we were able to get married by church. And then when, after that is when I started really looking at my spiritual life and see, do I really want to be a deacon? Hmm. And I Where did, did that, that idea come from? From many of my friends uh, from church. Mm-hmm. Many of them, obviously, they're deacons, uh, but some were other uh, late people that were, well, I guess they seen some of uh, the qualities I had. They, they seen the gifts that I had that I couldn't see, mm. and they were the ones that were inviting me. So the idea came from many men in my parish at mm. St. Nicholas of Tollentine back then where I was, and they were inviting me to do this. And the only thing I got involved with was being a communion minister and a lector. At first, I didn't want to do anything else. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm helping the church. The deacon stuff, I don't think so. That's not for me. Mm. I'm always fighting against God's plan in my life. But sooner or later, I have to give in because obviously it's his way and his time, not mine. Mm. Uh, but So I, I did pray for it for about five years mm. to see if really God wanted me to get ordained as a deacon because I knew that just as a marriage, when we get married by church, is for our whole life until... Mm-hmm. We could call home. So I took 
ministry also of the diaconate formation, I took it just as serious as getting married by church with my wife. Because if I was going to do it, I know that it was for the rest of my life until God calls me home. And I didn't want to fail him either. I don't want to do it and then quit. I mean, we could, I could do that at any time, but it's like, that's not what I got ordained for. So I could try it on and see if I like it or not. And if I don't leave it behind me, it's a sacrament is not to be throw away that way. In 2006, the chaplain that was here, Ron DeRose, he was in charge of doing the formation for the deacons in the jail. So he took us to Division 10, which it was a maximum security. And going in there, I'm like, I'm going in and minister to many incarcerated, which I ain't got no idea how to do. I've never been in a jail setting ministering to anyone. But he showed us how to do it. And by the time we were done in the summer of 06, I was able to see that this is why I was going to get ordained as a deacon so I could be a chaplain in, in Cook County Jail through Kobe House. Mm. So when I finished uh, at the end of the summer of 06, uh, I asked for a job. And they said, well, there's no jobs here right now. You could be a volunteer. I'm like, I don't want to volunteer. I want to work with you guys. In 2008, February 17, I got ordained. By June of 2008, I quit my job. I had an inside sales job for a welding supply company, which I've been doing for 20 years, an inside salesman. So I quit that job because I didn't want to do that no more because that was all about money and making sure that we made, uh, make our quote for every month in sales in the store. And I'm like, that's just making money. That's not saving anybody's life or soul. Mm -hmm. I want to do something with the church where it impacts other people their souls, their lives, but not so much the pocket, the money. And so I quit and I I found this job. My wife found this job on the internet. She said, guess what? There's a position for assistant chaplain at Kobe House. I'm like, sure, well, let, let me call. I called Father Arturo. And, and he knew that I really didn't want to do the jail ministry at the beginning in 06 when I did that uh, 30 service hours. So he was surprised when I told him, yes, I want to work with you guys. And he said, do you really want to do that? You're sure? I'm like, yes, that's why I'm here. I already quit my job. I don't have a job. Yeah. I ain't got no options no more. Yeah. So, so he said, okay, that's fine. So they hired me, him and Father Keller. I remember the interview uh, real clear. It was 13 years ago, if I remember. Father Keller said, you know, this ministry is, is real addictive. And, and he put me to think, I'm like, well, I know drugs are real addictive and alcohol but this ministry could be addictive in what way? It's like, as time goes by, you'll see. Hmm. 13 years later, yes, Sister Julia, it is real addictive because I take time away. I take personal days, vacation time, but it's like, yes, I could do this. I love going on vacation and trips with my wife, but I prefer being in the jail ministering to the men and women. Huh. And, and it's not only nine to five for me, it's all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have many guys that when they come out of prison or the family of the moms, I'm always talking with them on the phone or personally. To me, my ministry of a chaplain and associate director of Coe House is a 24-7 job. Yeah. Even at, at the parish setting on the weekends, there's always someone that has someone incarcerated and they know that I work for Coe House. So I start working with them too. Mm. So going into the jail is a wonderful experience, even though I've done it 13 years now. And every time I do it, there's always something new that impacts me all the time. And, and this week it happened. 
it happened on Tuesday when I went into one of the tiers, because actually I go right into the tiers where the guys are at. Their cells are along the wall and there's common area with three tables, metal bolted down with the tables and the seats to the ground. And that's where I meet the guys in there and they just around me. It's just me and them because the officer is on the outside in a bubble looking down. Mm. So I went into that tier and a lot of those guys are young. They're in their 20s, early 30s. So I sat down and I just basically start um, sharing the scripture reading with them for the Sundays, uh, mass readings. And then from there, we just let the Holy Spirit flow. And it's, I spent an hour and 20 minutes there just with those guys. I started with one guy because only one guy came and sat down at the table with me. Because when I go in there, I don't announce I'm here, I'm Chaplain Perez, I'm here to do Bible study. I, I don't. That's mm-hmm. not my style. My style is just come in with all the daily prayers or any devotional word among us. And I sit down and whoever comes to the table, that's what I'm going to talk with. Mm-hmm. And after I'm done with that, then I talk to the ones that are inside their cell that cannot come out. So I, I talk to them through the little crack of the door and just where they're at. That's where I'm able to talk to them because they have a, a plastic glass that we cannot hear each other that clear no more. But they... That day on Tuesday, it impressed me because one of the guys said, you know what? You truly see us for who we are as a human being. You don't, you don't see only what we have here in our face, in our arms. Because that guy that uh, said that to me, he's fully tattooed. Him and another guy, they're from their face, forehead, everywhere in their arms. They're all fully tattooed. And, and they say, that's what we like about you, that you go past all this. I'm like, yes, because this is nothing. This is your tattoos. But I'm going way past that because I know you're a human being. I know you're my brother. And, I, and if I'm able to minister to you, I have to look past all that. Your uniform, your charges, why you're here. I'm here just to talk to you, to talk with you, to pray with you. And to let the, the spirit of God just flow. And, and it did. We at the end of that hour and 20 minutes conversation, I ended up praying with him. And, and it was a wonderful prayer. It's just like when we come together in a community, like you and your community, you come together in prayer. You see and you feel how powerful that is. Because it's one spirit in the same faith. And so you could see and feel the presence of God. That's the same experience I had. And Tuesday with those men, when we stood up and, and prayed, all of us together. And, and it was wonderful because it's like, you know, that is the spirit of God leading you and saying everything you're saying. Because words that are coming out of my mouth is like, wow, I cannot help it by, but see, this is him talking. It ain't me no more. And I did tell him a number of times, you think I'm talking to you, but at this point, it's not me. It's God talking to you guys through me. Mm. And, and that is that that's why for me this ministry is so important and it's it's such a blessing and a grace for me to be able to do this because to experience those moments inside a jail setting with men that are in there because cause a lot of harm but see that the same spirit that moves in us at, in the church setting or at home it's there too So that is powerful. And one of the other guys at the the end of the service also came and said, you know what, brother, that's a great prayer you did. And I'm going to tell you one thing. As you were praying, I felt that spirit right here, right on my chest. I felt it like strong fire coming 
to me. I'm like, I'm glad, thank you for sharing, but I'm glad that you experienced that because that's the power of the spirit of God when two or three more gather in his name and we have 10 guys around here. Yeah, yeah. It's sacred. I think what you're describing is, is really how God is active and doing wonders in the most um, ignored and broken places and people in our mm-hmm. society. You know, as as a, as another person who's um, ministered in different jails, and I, I find the environment inside so <laughs> sad, and I really struggle emotionally, and it drains me and exhausts me so much to be inside because I just it feel like there's, there's like an an oppressive energy, but I too have experienced that wonder of like, Whoa, the Holy spirit just showed up and did something here. And it was really surprising. And I don't know about you, but like, for me, why I think the reason why I love going inside to the jail so much is because I feel like my, it's one of the places in the world where my main mission is to help each person know that they are good. Right. That yep. they are made, they're people of dignity, they're made in God's image and likeness. And even though the world has been projecting such other labels upon them that oftentimes are very harmful, I get to come in and honor the goodness that I see in each one of them and in the potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a wonderful experience. And, and, and to give them that dignity of a human being, because a lot of times they, they see them only as an ID number. Mm-hmm. that they get from whether it's Cook County Jail or from IDOC, from mm-hmm. the prison, state prison. Yeah, Illinois Department of Corrections for the listeners, mm-hmm. right? right? So they're understood as a number instead of as a human. Exactly. And we as ministers, you especially as one who does this much more frequently than I, are there to honor the humanity of each person in the ways that you relate with them, the ways that you open the spirit up to to the interactions that are happening between you. I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about how you see the transformation happening in people's life as they're starting to, as they come to know themselves as people of dignity, and they're learning this new message about who they are as a person, as a child of God. Yes, that transformation, yes, because a lot of the men that I see in there, they've been in there for quite a few years waiting for trial. So some of them, some of the guys that I've been talking with in Division 9, which is a super max security setting, and some of them have been in there since 2011, 12, and 2014, waiting to, for trial still. So I, I grow with them, and I see how they grow and in their lives as a human being because a lot of times when i first encountered them they're they're one i mean they're so broken and they're just running uncontrollable and then as i start engaging with them and talking with them weekly because that's why i do it monday through friday because that way each day of the week i go into different areas so i could continue watching them and and talking with them frequently weekly so that's why I, I do that, because I could see the transformation in them. Because a lot of times I tell them, I refer, you're like a, a, a reindeer. You're all over the place and running like crazy, doing things that gets you in trouble, that puts you in the hole. And, and sometimes you even end up catching another case in there. 
because that's how destructive you are. Mm-hmm. But now, as the time goes by, they, I build that relationship with them and I bring them closer to the Lord and the Lord starts working them. It's like, man, that's, you, you could see the transformation, literally. That man that told me about those tattoos all over his face, mm-hmm. he, he's only 25 years old. Mm. When I first met him, the only words that I used to hear from him coming out of his mouth was F this, F that. Mm. And didn't care for what I was there for, didn't care if I offered him a, a Bible or a prayer. That same man was with me on Tuesday, sitting down, praying and saying, you see more than this. Wow. Sure. How long did it take from him to have that hard shell and to be using the, the destructive language to, to getting to the place where he was naming what he was seeing and he was able to say, oh, you see beyond, beyond all this. Mm-hmm. Was that weeks, months? Actually, with a lot of them, I would say about a year. A year. About a year. A year, year and a half. Hmm. It takes a long time. It's just like a, like you have an onion and you're peeling away one piece at a time. That's yeah. how it is with them. You start peeling away all the things that has accumulated in their young life because they're, they're young in their 20s. They're still young. But they have a lot of things. So to start pulling that layer by layer with him takes a lot of conversation. And on my part, a lot of listening. Hmm. Not so much of talking, but listening to them and truly understand what is it that they're trying to tell me? Hmm. What is it that they're screaming and yelling for help? What kind of help? How much pain have they covered and kept in their heart where no one else wants to ask them? How are you? Mm. So it take all that. It takes a while to build a relationship with anyone. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. Just like us to have a relationship with God. It's a lifelong relationship. It's a process. We're still learning. We're still, still trying to figure out who God is for us at times. That's right. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process until we end up being called home. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything ends, but it begins for eternity. So with men like that, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience. And do I get frustrated at times? Probably. But at the end of the day, I know that it's not what I'm going to say or do. It's what God is going to do in his life when he's ready, when the men or women are ready to surrender to the Lord. And all I have to do is just be patient, be there waiting. And when that moment comes, then I'm there to sit down and talk with them. And or I'm there to offer them a Bible that they could actually take it and read it and practice part of that in their own lives. Mm-hmm. But it's, yes, it's definitely, if anything, I, I think this ministry has shown me how to be more patient. It takes a lot of time. And, and you see that discouraging part, if I allow it to be discouraging, is that sometimes in, in the jail setting, sometimes the officers say why do you go and minister to them there's no fixing them they're too broken they're already messed up for their whole life they you're not going to get to them and and i know that they don't mean bad the correction officers that they just tell me what they see Mm -hmm. but they don't see what i see in them 
that there's goodness in them also because I was one of them. I just didn't never end up in prison or Cook County Jail, but I was just as reckless as they were. I was just as broken as they were. That's why I know that investing time in each of those young men in their 20s there is worth it. Because if I change, I know that they could change. Like I told them, whether you come out of jail or prison or not, or you spend the rest of your life in prison because of whatever your case was, know that you are now walking with the Lord. And all this is temporal. Sooner or later, you and I will go home. And it's more important to know when we go home and we face to face with the Lord. And he asks you, what did you do? Because you could be free from this physical building, but you not might be you might not ever be free from all these other addictions or other problems you have. So you might not come back to jail or prison, but you definitely will always be incarcerated because all of the other things that are in your life that are broken, and you need to take care of those. You need to address those brokenness, and the only one to do is you, because it's your life, it's your body. You have to dig way in there and start healing, start the healing process. But also realize that in, in the process, you have to ask many times for forgiveness because there's a reason why you're here because someone else more likely than anything have lost their lives. That's why you're sitting here. Mm. So you would have to ask God for forgiveness and the family, whether the family accept it or not, it's, it's for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. asking of forgiveness or forgiveness for you but sometimes it, it, it is that way you want God to forgive you but you're not willing to forgive that person mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought up forgiveness because it's another question it's another topic mm -hmm. I wanted to explore with you it seems to me that the forgiveness and mercy were really the, the values that we held as a church and society less people would be doomed by the system, right? And the system would be actually supporting people's development and growth instead of so many resources going towards causing people to suffer more, which is what happens when they're locked up for mm -hmm. years and years and years. So what is your take on what, it, what we, those of us that are on the outside building up church and building up society, how do we help foster the, the value of forgiveness and help other people to, to recognize like how this is so central to, to creating healthy communities. Yeah, we, we have to stop thinking of punity. Mm -hmm. We have to stop that because that's not the answer. I just if, love this simple answer there, Pablo. I just, you know, we just got to stop it. <laughs> Thank you for not being so philosophical. You're you right. Know why? You know why? Because it's, it's simple. It's real simple. And, and like I see all the violence and I see how the system, I, I mean, 13 years of in and out mm -hmm. here, I have a better idea now, but and just looking at all the violence in the city of Chicago, it's in what everyone in the city is doing, the mayor and everyone else, what they're trying to do, but they still don't get it because it has to start with mercy yeah. and we have to stop seeing them. We we have as a society, all of us, we have to stop demonizing them. They're not demons, they're human beings. They're not wasted human beings. They're not wasted young men. No, there's an opportunity, there's talents and gifts that they all have. But we, as a society, we think incarcerating 
and more laws and stiffer sentences. That is not addressing the violence. You got it all wrong. You, you can't start from the top. You have to start from the root. And the root of all those problems are where all these young men and women are coming from. That there's nothing there for them. And then we, we ask when we watch on TV, how could they do that? These young men and women, they're, they're out of control. Of course they're out of control. Because what are we giving them? Mm -hmm. They wanted themselves. You know, Julia, there's a lot of men that I sit down and talk with that I ask them, why are you here for? Why are you here? And what they tell me first is, well, they start telling me what their charges are. And, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm like, what got you here? Well, I did this and I did that. No, that's not what I'm asking. What got you through your whole life to get to this point where you're at now? What then happened? What was messed up in your life that got you into the criminal mentality that has gotten you in here? And when they understand that question, then they let their guard down and then they start telling me, well, you know, Deacon, it's hard for me. I'm going to give you one example of an 18-year-old on Wednesday that I met. He just recently came into the jail. 18 years old. What are you doing here? He has two other brothers, 10 and 13. And he's 18. And, and his mom is a single mom from the Austin neighborhood. What future is this? None. His mom has two jobs. And she has two kids to care for. And then she has the third one in Kukani Jail. And here's a young kid, first time offender. He don't belong there. I know that what he might have done had caused a lot of harm or damage. We cannot ignore the sin. A sin is a sin. Mm -hmm. We know that. But let's address the human being. Let's see why that 18-year-old kid, because he's still a kid, why did he do what he did? No father. Mom always working. Environment, community. Where do they live? Mm -hmm. in the worst violence neighborhoods of our city. And sending more police to all of our neighborhoods, it is not the answer either. That is not the answer. If that was the answer, this would be better then. But it's not. They have to see that that ain't the answer. You have to invest not money, but time and people in communities like that. When you invest, if the way I invest all my time inside Cook County Jail, if a lot of us will invest 20, I spend 20 hours in the jail, Monday through Friday. If every, every citizen in Chicago spent 20 hours in all these communities that are filled of violence, 20 hours in there being role models, whether it's for young men or young women, violence will decrease. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is the importance of relationship. And yes. the real importance of remaining committed, dedicated, patient, persevering, steadfast in those relationships that you, you're there for the long haul, right? And if we want to build up a community, a society, and a church that, that is like forgiveness and mercy is more obvious and more abundant, 
then we really have to commit to relationships for the long haul. And Mm -hmm. when you're actually in relationship with someone, it's oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes easier to offer them grace and to offer them compassion because we know the full story of like, this is, this is what happened here. This is what's going on. Yeah. There's a lot more we could explore and I appreciate so much everything you've shared. It's been very meaningful. And and I love having opportunities like this where I could give voice to the voiceless. And that's all the men and women that I minister to. So when I come out here and be invited in settings like this, it's my opportunity to bring voice to all the men and women that are incarcerated, that their voice is being shut down all the time. Shut up, be quiet, don't say nothing. What do they want us to hear the most? Those of us that are on the outside, those who are listening, those who will never go inside of a jail or a prison. I need help. I need you to help me with my family. I need help to get away from all this destructive that's around me. I need an opportunity for me and my family. That's what they're trying to say. They're screaming for help. They're screaming for help in their actions. Their violent actions, their destructive actions. Those are words that are saying, help me. I don't know what else to do. That's why I'm being so destructive because I want to get the attention of everyone. That's why. That's what they're trying to tell us. Not to show us how destructive these young men are or women. They need help. They're crying out for help. You know, it's not easy for any of us as human beings to ask for help. If it was, we will do it. But it's not easy. It's shameful. It hurts or we don't want to. Or they've been, they tell us, don't say nothing. Be quiet. If we all could learn how to say, help me. And, and when that person hears that word, help me, we should be able to respond to the best of our ability to help them. Not material. That's easy. Anyone could do that. But help them by accompanying them in their journey. Because they're our brothers and sisters. Just like we help our, our community, our parishes, families. We spend time with them. We talk with them. We even invite them to dinner. We invite them to a game. We're inviting them to a a cookout at home. But those are the people we know. The challenge for us is do it to the people that we don't know and they will not be able to pay us back. That's why. So that's what they keep on saying in so many different words, help. Help. Help us. We're hopeless. They, They don't see a lot of these young men and women, they don't see a future the way we've seen our future. Their future, you know, Julia, you know what their future is? That they make it one more year of life. That's the future that they look for year after year. I hope and pray that I'm still alive for next year. To be 23, to be 24. So if you're asking what do we want to hear people that are out here is that Look at what those words mean. I'm looking forward to being 23 at least. I'm like, why not 30, 40, 50? Because I don't know if I'm going to make it to that age. 
I might be killed by then. The help that an ordinary Christian could offer is to figure out how to build a relationship of mercy and commitment to someone. And so maybe that means if you can afford to hire them to help you with, with something, you do that, right? Or like you mentioned, taking them to a meal or a game. Those sort of ordinary things that people do to, to help their neighbors or be in relationship mm-hmm. with people, we do the same for those who are crying out for help um, by their behavior that could be leading them towards the criminal justice system, or mm-hmm. maybe they're coming out of the criminal justice system and they need accompaniment and support so they don't return. Yes. Look, look at them the way the Lord looks at all of us, yeah. you know, and, 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 and really invest time in getting to know people. Yes. Invest time to get to hear the story of their life, mm-hmm. their young life. Because each one of us have a story. You're giving me an opportunity to share my story, part of my story with you and the listeners, but more the stories of all the men and women that I've heard throughout the years, thousands of them, stories that have impacted me that continue changing and transforming me into a more humble person and realize that, wow, I'm so privileged to be able to be called to do this ministry yes. and all of us could do it now i'm not saying everyone gonna go into the jail no but doing those small acts of charity for someone mm-hmm. out there just out of the kindness of your heart for no reason approach anyone and do something for them or if anything ask them what their name is yeah. or when we go to the fast food restaurants or whatever and they give us the the order's wrong, we want to curse them out. We're angry instead of realizing how hard it is for them. That's some creates, I mean, it's, you're right. Like that's a very simple, ordinary thing. People, somebody makes a mistake, like a business and we forgive, we offer mercy. That's another way to build up a society of mercy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What have you learned about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this work? It means that I start knowing the suffering of Christ in the cross. I know how painful it is. I know how hard it was for the Lord to carry that cross. Because I carry a lot of, not only my cross, but I carry the cross of many of the men and women in there. So that's what I've learned. And it's, and it's heavy. And it's heavy at times. Uh, that's why sometimes for me to process everything that I experienced there throughout the weeks, it takes a lot of time for me to debrief. So what, I, what I've learned, Julia, is that now I understand when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go and pray. Let's go up to the mountain and pray. And the disciples were telling him, but look at the multitude. Look at all the people following you. That's okay, but we need to pray. And that's one thing that I've learned. That in order for me to help the multitude inside of the jail, I have to take time for me to pray and to stay still in silence and, and give everything that I've heard or if I experienced through those doors in the jail, turn all that into the hands of the Lord because it's his, it's not mine. And so, I mean, spiritually it has helped me grow a lot more 
than I was when I first got ordained. So I learned from them. We think church is only our parishioners or our community. Church is those brothers and sisters there, the society already saying, you know what? Let's just put them in. I, I go and I think I'm bringing church to them. Church is already there. God's totally <laughs> taking care of it every day, right? Yeah, he is. And eventually, is. every now and then we get to be visitors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We become so, visitors. Yeah. Pablo, what is messy about all this for you? <laughs> everything. <laughs> What's messy? Everything's messy about this. Because on any given day, I don't know what I'm going to run into the, when I, once I get through those gates and that door, going into the tier where the men are, and women are incarcerated. So it's a big mess. Just going in through all the checkpoints. I go to two, three different checkpoints just to get to where the men are at. The whole system is messy. The environment is messy. It's a mess that no one wants to touch. It's a mess that no one wants to clean. And that's all the men and women incarcerated throughout the nation, throughout Chicago. This country is the country that incarcerates more people than anyone else in the world. Cook County Jail is a detention center. And it's, number, it's the biggest detention center in the United States. Next uh, after us is California. But we're the number one. So that is a big mess. That is a mess that needs to be cleaned up and not by one person or by one community, by a whole village. In order to clean and take care of this mess, it needs everyone's attention. It's it brings attention and, and hands-on. And, and it's messy because it's, to me, I'm trying to figure a lot of things of my life, my ministry, and sorting out how to deal with the mess that's in there. And it just makes it worse because of the justice system that is broken. That's why it's so messy. Because it's a broken system that for many years they think that's what's going to help, but it's not. If it was, then we would have less people there. And that mess is still going to be there until we as a community, as people of faith, decide to start taking action. The action you're inviting us to take is to build ordinary relationships and to show God's mercy. Exactly. And by One. doing that and advocating for the, the system to, to change, like the both and, right? The mess of, of the criminal justice system and the ways that we seemingly throw people away and give up on them will we'll start to be cleaned up little by little. But we yeah. have to do this together, don't we? Yes, we have to. We need everyone. Yeah. We, Kobe House can't do it alone. No. The Archdiocese of Chicago can't do it alone. Rome cannot do it alone. <laughs> Even, yeah, Pope Francis, he can't do it. You know what? Jesus needs our help, right? <laughs> and and it does go back to to what they're crying out for. The the people inside, mm -hmm. they're just but, saying, "Help us." Yeah, and 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 you see, that's why I love about Pope Francis, because the first thing he did um, when he got uh, installed as uh, as the Pope, his uh, Holy Thursday Mass. 
He didn't do it at St. Peter. He went to the juvenile jail. Mm -hmm. He washed the feet of those young men in there. That's cleaning the mess. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Our Holy Father teached us when he got on his knees and cleaned and kissed that feet of those young men incarcerated. So why cannot we do the same? We're challenged to do that too. And by God's designs, we're in this together and we get to lean on each other and help each other. And in doing that and building relationship, we all get to know a little bit of God's mercy. Exactly. We learn from each other. Mm -hmm. You know, and we and and that leaning on each other, that is real important. Yeah. Sometimes I lean on them. Yeah. On the man in there. I lean on them for prayers. Because sometimes I need them to pray for me. Because I have my own struggles. I've had my own issues. And they know. Because I share with them just the way I share with my family. All my illnesses. I share with them when my father died from uh, stage four stomach cancer. They pray for my father and they pray for me. They always pray for me. Look at our, our parishes, our churches. When we do the prayers of the faithful. How often do we say we pray for the men and women incarcerated? We do it for the Pope, the Cardinal, the sick, our government leaders, and for the incarcerated? Once in a while. Yeah, not not frequently enough. No. no. For the police officers, firemen, they, they all of those are wonderful. They need it. But we have to include our brothers and sisters incarcerated. How could they change if we don't Put them in our intentions as we come together in the community before the breaking of the bread. Yeah. And by having them in our minds, it's going to transform us too. Of course. Yeah. That's where the transformation starts, right here. Yeah. But then it transforms the heart. Once it transforms our hearts, then we could say, now I got it. Now I got it. Now I know how to fix this mess. Now I know how to fix a little bit because we cannot fix it all yeah there's always going to be a mess here and there thank um, you so much for coming on messy jesus business pablo thank you and really for for anyone that hears your podcast I, I i do encourage and invite them to to truly pray pray for change in our society pray for change not for them but for us to change the way we see and the way we do things Pray that we change so we could truly understand what they need help with. Starts with us. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you, Pablo. No, thank you so much, Sister Julia. invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Deacon Pablo and I discussed forgiveness and mercy and how we are each called to be instruments of mercy, I'd like to read for you an excerpt from one of Pope Francis's apostolic letters. In Latin, the letter is called Misericordia et Misera, 
which means mercy and misery. It was published in 2016 after the Year of Mercy. A reading from Pope Francis's apostolic letter, Mercy and Misery, published in 2016, section 16. Nothing is more pleasing to the Father than a true sign of mercy. By its very nature, mercy becomes visible and tangible in specific and powerful acts. Once mercy has been truly experienced, it is impossible to churn back. It grows constantly and it changes our lives. It is an authentic new creation. It brings about a new heart capable of loving to the full and it purifies our eyes to perceive hidden needs. How true are the words of the church's prayer at the Easter vigil after the reading of the creation account. O God, who wonderfully created human nature and still more wonderfully redeemed it. Mercy renews and redeems because it is the meeting of two hearts, the heart of God who comes to meet the human heart. The latter is warmed and healed by the former. Our hearts of stone become hearts of flesh, capable of love despite our sinfulness. I come to realize that I am truly a new creation. I am loved, therefore I exist. I am forgiven, therefore I am reborn. I have been shown mercy, therefore I become a vessel of mercy. That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.